Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, and commencing to read at verse uh, 22. And these are very uh, precious verses that we're going to read about tonight. Uh, They're very sacred, and we're just going to take time and read them uh, together. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, and verse 22. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head. And they read in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come to the place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. If you cast your eye down to verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elo, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let us bow together, please, in a moment of prayer. Every believer praying tonight as we bring the message of the gospel. Father, we just bow before thee again, and we thank thee for the hymns that we have sang. We thank thee for the pieces that we have heard. And Lord, we come now to your word. And Father, we pray the power of the Spirit of God will just rest over this meeting tonight. We pray that the blessed Holy Spirit would brood over this gathering. And Father, I give myself to thee just now and ask thee, Lord, that thou will fill me with thy Spirit, that your word would go with clarity and with power. And I pray tonight that thou wilt awaken men and women to their need of a Savior. And Father, I pray against the enemy tonight 
We come against every unseen force that would seek to hinder in the preaching of of your word. Every unseen force that would seek to hinder in men and women listening to your word tonight. And we take authority over the enemy in Jesus' name. And Father, we bind them in the power of the blood tonight. And we cry for not only a binding, but we pray in this house tonight that there will be a releasing, Lord, and that the Lord Jesus Christ will get all of the glory. We ask it in his precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The centuries of time have been scattered with great men and with great events. Whenever you look back over your history books, whenever you were at school, you could see the great men of history and the great battles and the great events. But I want to, for a moment or two tonight, bring you to the greatest man, the greatest event, and the greatest place. I want to confront every man, woman, boy, and girl in this meeting tonight afresh with the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say tonight, dear friends, what your opinion is of the cross tonight determines where you will spend eternity. Your view of the old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has an emblem of suffering and shame. And whatever your view is of that cross tonight, determines your eternal destiny. Paul could say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I have said many times before, that cross is where the Savior died. It's the place where Satan was defeated. It's the place where sinners can be delivered. And it's the place where us as saints tonight, we put all our delight in that old rugged cross. And I want to bring you to three very simple points tonight. I want you to think about the sufferings of the cross. The sufferings that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went through in those hours on Calvary's cross. There's not a man in the world can say tonight, not a man in the world can fathom the depths of the pain and the anguish and the suffering of the Son of God. We live in a world of suffering. Men and women physically suffer, mentally suffer, emotionally suffer. And Peter says in his epistle just those few lovely words, and with them come the weight of eternity concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered. He suffered. You know, this one that we're going to think about tonight is Jesus of Nazareth. The one who left the splendors of heaven. The one that left the the worship and the adoration of angels and came down, as we heard this morning, into the matrix of a virgin's womb. He didn't come to the palace. He didn't sit on the throne of Judea. He came down and he lived in the streets of Nazareth as a carpenter. He was the man, the lowly Nazarene. But not only is he described of Jesus as Nazareth, you know Isaiah the prophet called him the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you know Paul said this of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said if they had a new new one, 
they would not have crucified, listen to this, the Lord of glory. And I want you to see tonight that this man on the cross was the God-man. I want you to see him tonight in all of his beauty, all of his power. You'll never meet a man like this tomorrow. You'll never bump into a man like this as you go to your work during the week. This is him, the Son of God. And I want you to see him tonight on a cross, the friend of sinners. I want you to think of the brutality of men. I want you to see for a moment or two tonight of the venom that men had towards the Lord Jesus. You know, friend, they still have it. Maybe you're in this meeting tonight and you hate him. Maybe in this meeting tonight, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the lowly Nazarene, he's still despised in your eyes tonight. To you, he means absolutely nothing. Well, I want to show you, first of all, concerning his sufferings, the buffeting that he took. You know, way back, if you cast your eye back to chapter 26 and verse 67, concerning the Pharisees and scribes, it says in verse 67 of chapter 26, then they did spit in his face. You know, the first man that ever spat in the face of the Lord Jesus was a religious man. The first man that came up to the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts, and cleared his throat and spat in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ was not a drunkard. He was not a man that lived in the gutter of sin. No, he was a religious man. Spat in his face. I don't know if anyone has ever spat in your face before. But there was a man spat in mine one time. But this is the Lord of glory we're dealing with tonight. This is the Prince of Peace. This is he who dwelled in eternity past. This is he who formed the heavens and cast the stars into space. God manifest in flesh. Can you believe it? And cleared his throat and spat into the face of the Son of God. But not only did they spit in verse 67, it goes on again. And this is the word tonight. And buffeted him. And you can see these Pharisees and scribes so religious, so self-righteous, all living their life outwardly as whited sepulchers, but inside were full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. It was all just a facade and all just a show. Maybe you're in this meeting tonight and all that's all you have tonight. It's just a facade, just a show. But you know, whenever they spat in his face, the first man came and they buffeted him. And you know, dear friends, that's with a closed fist. And I can see this Pharisee, whoever he was, and he comes, oh, with venom in his heart and with rage in his eyes, and he strikes the Son of God. The one who we heard about tonight that could have called 10,000 angels. And yet when he was reviled, he reviled not again. You see, this word to buffet here is the word to continually beat. Some of you men in this meeting tonight used to fight on the streets. And we knew what it was to get into the scrap. Maybe after two or three punches, 
You know he knew what it was to get beat. But I'll tell you, dear friends, the Son of God just didn't get struck, smote on the face once or twice. Time and time and time again as he stood regal before them, they buffeted him time and time and time and time and time again. And he never flinched. I just hold on. It goes on and says, not only did they spit in his face and buffet him, they smote him. And that's not with the closed fist, but that's with the open hand. And I want you to picture it tonight. The Son of God, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts. And he stands and he lets men spit upon his face. And then he lets them buffet him. And then they smite him. Would you let somebody do that to your son? This is God's son. But you know, not only did the Pharisees do it, the soldiers did it. These old, hardened, battle-worn soldiers. And we read tonight that it says that they gathered together in verse 27, the whole band, five to six hundred men. And as they stood in the common hall, they would come And they buffeted him. These men that knew what it was to go into battle. These rough, arrogant men. Strong as an ox. And they would come one after another. And what it really means is that they made two lines. Put a hundred men on this side. Put a hundred on that. And they punched the Lord Jesus from one side to the other side. So they got to the end of the line. Is it any but wonder that his visage was so marred more than the sons of men? And as far more. Is it any but wonder whenever Pilate came out he had to say, Behold the man. If you had knew the Lord Jesus in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth, you wouldn't have knew him whenever they had finished with him. He was beaten beyond Recognition. He could say, I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hairs, and I hid not my face from shame and from spitting. And that really means, dear friends, whenever they spat, he didn't lift his hands. Whenever they came to buffet, he didn't lift his hands. When they smote him, he didn't lift his hands. He stood regal. What a man. And there's some of you in this meeting tonight, you despise him. You don't want him. That's the buffeting. But I want you to see for a moment now his back. It says in uh, verse 26 that when Pilate scourged him, this is the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the one that created the world, all things were made by him. And without him is nothing made that is made. The Lord. And after he's been beaten, his visage so, get that wee word tonight, so marred more than any man. They brought him. 
And they would rip the shirt, the clothes from his back, and he would be bent over a, a piece of stone or a stump of a tree. Now, I want you to get this in your mind tonight. The Lord of glory, the one who could have called 10,000 angels, and he would have been bent with his back facing towards the sky. And two Roman soldiers would come, and they would have a lash in their hand which was called the cat of nine tails. It was made with leather and it had bone and metal and lead. And these two Roman soldiers would get into competition to see how much damage they could do. They were experts. And where they aimed the lash was from the top of the shoulder and they cracked the lash and you can hear the whistle of it going through the air. And those bits of lead and bone would attach onto the back of my Savior. And then they would trail from the shoulder down to the bottom of his back. The Lord of glory. Ah, they just didn't do it once or twice now. Can you see these two Roman soldiers are trying to outdo one another time again, time again? Many men died. There's been records of men and they could see their organs and their bones. And here was the Son of God. You can start to see his pain and his agony. He could say they made long their furrows upon my back. This is him now. Time and time again. You can see his back. You can see the pain in his face and the anguish and yet not a word from the Savior's lips. Not a word of your rebuke. Not a word to tell him to stop. No sign of resistance here. He's led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And the crack of the whip. And it says they scourged. That's his back. And his buffeting. What about his brow? Then they take a crown of thorns. And they plait a crown out of those eastern thorns at over three inches long and they placed it upon his brow. Verse 28. They say that there's more nerves in the top of a man's head than there is in any other part of his body. And here's the Lord Jesus beaten beyond recognition his back like a ploughed field more than most men could stand. And they're only getting started. And they get a crown of thorns and they place it on his head. Do you think they set it on gently, do you? Do you ever get a thorn in your finger? And here these crown of thorns were set upon the Savior's brow and they got down on their knees and they mocked him and they said, Heal, King of the Jews. The Lord of glory. The Prince of Peace. Verse 31, it says, and they led him away. John says, he bearing his cross, he went forth 
see the Son of God and all of the pain and the agony. Would to God that we could see something of the pain and agony he went through. Not only is there his brow and his back, what about his body? You know, whenever they led him out of Jerusalem, it says when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And I want you to see this rough Roman cross that is laid on the ground. And I want you to see the Son of God that is led. He's not tailing. He's not resisting like other men. He's not pulling back. He's, he's leading the way. And from the track, he turned not back. And they come to the brow of the hill and the cross is on the ground. And he, I don't think they pushed him down. I, I don't think they had to overcome him. I think he lay down. Willingly. I think you can see him getting down on his back like a ploughed field and the crown of thorns and his visage so marred more than any man and yet he gets down on the cross and they get the nails. And they're not like little galvanized nails that you farmers use when you're putting up a fence. They're rough spikes. These were the hands that touched the leper. These were the hands that broke the bread and the fish by the seashore. These were the hands that held little Jairus' daughter as he lifted her from the dead. And in Psalm 22, this is what he said, They pierced my hands and my feet. My hands. My hands that made the world. My hands that healed the sick. My hands that still the storm, oh, they're piercing. My hands and my feet. Hark, I hear the dull blow of the hammer swung low. They're nailing my Lord to the tree. And the cross they upraise while the multitude gaze on the blessed lamb of dark Calvary. His bones. You know, whenever they lifted that cross up and it dropped into its socket, with that jolt, every bone in my blessed Savior's body came out of joint. Do you ever have a bone out of joint in your finger? And you're nursing it for three or four days. And here the Son of God in the heat of the day with the enemy round him and the bulls of Bashan have compassed him and they raise the cross and he was lifted high and that cross drops into its socket and the weight of his body on the nails, every bone comes out of joint. What pain. What agony. And yet no word of complaint from his mouth. Yet he never told them to stop. No cursing, no blaspheming. Just the groan as every bone in his body came out of joint. Is it any but wonder, Isaac, what pain those lovely words see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down to there such love 
and sorrow meet our thorns compose. So, so rich a crown. But I want to tell you, dear men and women in the Lifeboat Fellowship tonight, if that's all that happened in Calvary, there wouldn't be one of us in this meeting tonight that could get saved by the grace of God. What men did to my Savior could never atone for sin. I want to tell you the nails in his hands, the lash upon his back, the crown, upon his th- upon the crown of thorns upon his head could never take away my sin. But not only is it the sufferings of the cross, I want you to think for a moment of the substitute upon the cross. I want you to see now the Son of God. Oh, they've mocked him and laughed at him. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross and save thyself. He saved others. He cannot save himself. But you know, we read about it in verse 45. Whenever twelve o'clock came, the sun forbid the shame. Now I want you to think about this tonight. And after men had dealt with the Savior for three hours on the cross, it says in verse 45, from the sixth hour until sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And Jesus of Nazareth, the Lord of glory, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. He became the Lamb of God. And all my sin was laid on him. Jesus bore them on the tree. God who knew them, led them on him. And believing, I go free. And I want you to see in the darkness, when God turned out the lights of heaven, And the Lord Jesus Christ, he could say as he did in Psalm 69, Save me, O God, for the waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. And the Lord in the darkness became an offering for sin. And on the cross of Calvary, the Son of God bore the wrath of God. You know, you look at the flood and you'll see the wrath of God upon the world. And every man except for men, eight men that got into the ark were destroyed. That was the wrath of God upon the world. You look at Sodom and Gomorrah and you can see the wrath of God upon the cities. You, you look at the plagues in Egypt and you can see the wrath of God upon a nation. But oh, see the Son of God stripped naked, the hair pulled from his cheeks, the crown of thorns upon his head, the nails in his hands and his feet. And I want you to see now the wrath of God upon one man. The wrath of God was unleashed upon his son. And there wasn't one man that was allowed to see it. There was darkness enveloped across. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us. Would you die for me? There's not a man in this hall tonight that would be big enough to die for me. But I want to tell you the Son of God died for me. And I want to tell every mother in this meeting tonight the Lord Jesus Christ died for you. Every daughter, every son, every father. The Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary stripped naked 
bear our sins in his own body on the tree. There's not an artist in the world can paint this. Oh, I know we can see the crowns of thorns on his head. And I know we can see as they put that cup up to his lips. But there's not an artist in the world can paint the cup that God gave him. Full of the wrath and iniquity. Oh, I know we can see a picture at times of the spear that was into his side. But there's not an artist in the world can paint the sword that went into his soul. Oh, I know we can see pictures of the anger and the wrath that's on the face of men as they stood at Calvary's hill. But there's not a painter in the world can paint the wrath of God that came upon his son. The Lord Jesus Christ in the darkness, you can see not only his body and his bones and his brow, but I want you to think of his burden. You know all your sin tonight? Do you ever think about your sin? Do you ever think of all those secret sins? Do you ever think of all those hidden sins that no one else knows anything about tonight? And you're in this meeting and you're depending on religion or works or whatever you're depending on. I don't know what it is. But all your sin tonight is open and naked before a holy God. Your religion will never take it away. Confirmation will not take it away. Baptism will not take it away. Your mass, your beads will never take it away. Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I don't care tonight, and I'll get to it very shortly. I don't care if you're the biggest sinner in Ireland. I want to tell you, because of the burden our Savior carried in Calvary, you're able to be saved tonight. O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head? Our Lord was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead. Didst bear all ill for me. I kept them. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and died and shed his precious blood, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And he could say in Psalm 22, and we read about it tonight, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you just to think about this. That's the middle cry of the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the middle word of that little phrase is why. Why, Lord? Why have you turned your face up against me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me in dark Calvary to bear the burden of men and women's sin alone? Would you allow me to point tonight? He did it for you. He did it for you. He did it for you. I'll tell you, dear friends, you're the reason why he was there. The Son of God. The Lord of glory. The Prince of Peace. Why hast thou forsaken me? And the sword of God's divine judgment was seized in the very heart of his Son. And the agony and the pain that went through his very soul. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. 
wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. And oh, the wrath of God that came upon his son. Behold and see. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. Wherewith the Lord has afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Did you ever realize that he was there for you? Did you? Did you realize the Son of God was there just for you and you alone? The Prince of Peace. I'll tell you, dear friends, that's the greatest message the world has ever heard. He took the guilty sinner's place and suffered in his stead. For me, O oh, miracle of grace, for me, my Savior bled. I need no other argument. I seek no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Let me ask you, is it enough for you tonight? Maybe you're holding on to your church. Maybe you're holding on to your secret societies. Maybe you're holding on to your, your, all, all that you've paid into, into, into charity. Maybe you're holding on to your prayers. Maybe you're holding on to a multitude of things. Friend, would to God that you would let go of it all tonight. Let go of your sin that's taken you down to a lost eternity and cling to the Savior. He would save you in the very seat where you sit. You know, whenever the Lord Jesus was on the cross and the wrath of God was laid on him, this is the cry that left the Savior's lips. It is finished. Paid in full. Paid in full that men and women don't need to pay. You don't need to work. You don't need to climb crew Patrick. You don't need to go to penance. You don't need to go to mass or confirmation. You just need to turn to Christ and Christ alone. That's the message of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, friends, he not only died, but on the third day he rose again. And at this very moment he lives in the power of an endless life. The Lord Jesus Christ, he rose. Buddha's dead tonight. Muhammad's dead. Confucius is dead. Mary's dead. The popes will die. Your minister will die. But Christ is alive and he lives in the power of an endless life tonight. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty victor o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. I want to tell you tonight, dear friends, he's no longer on the cross and he's no longer got spittle on his face and he's no longer got the hairs pulled from his cheeks. He's no longer the derision of men. He's exalted and he's at the Father's right hand tonight. And there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that this Jesus Christ is Lord. And whether you're saved or whether you're not, and whether you accept him or whether you don't, I want to tell you Dawkins and all those men will bow their knee. I want to tell you all the Hitlers and all the Mussolinis, there's coming a day when so many men that bowed before them, there's coming a day when they will bow before him and acknowledge that he is Lord. Oh, I want to say to you, dear friends, if you don't acknowledge him now, the moment that you acknowledge him then, he will cast you into a lake of fire. There's no exits. There's no getting out. There's no more gospel missions. There's no more gospel tracks. There's no more opportunity of salvation. The door is shut. It says in Isaiah 5, what more could he have done? What more would you want him to do for you? What more would you have wanted the Son of God to do for you than what he has already done? 
crowned with thorns and stripped naked. And the wrath of God that has came upon him paid it and satisfied the claims of a holy God in full to buy you back from your sin. Oh, I want to tell you I'm glad that I'm saved. I'm glad there's a day in my life I repented of my sin. I'm glad there was a day in my life when I acknowledged that I was a hell-deserving sinner in the sight of God. Friends, I, let me tell you tonight, you don't need a preacher to tell you you're a sinner. You don't need a theologian. You don't even need to read the Bible tonight to know that you're a sinner. You've got a conscience inside your very heart. And you know tonight, as you sit under the eye of an almighty God, be sure your sin will find you out. And you can cover it, and you can hide it, and you can ignore it, and you can even deny it. But there's coming a day when the books will be opened and every lie has been written down and every bit of lust and every bit of envy, every bit of unforgiveness, every sin has been recorded in the books of heaven and your wife may not know about them. Your husband may not know about them. Your children may not know about them. But I want to tell you tonight, God knows all about them. And he says this to your heart tonight, be sure your sin will find you. You couldn't tell me tonight you'll be sure you'll get home. But I can tell you tonight, you can be sure your sin will find you. He who covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth them and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Mercy. But not only, you know, tonight is there the sufferings of the cross and the sufficiency in the cross. I want to talk to you tonight as we close this meeting about you putting your trust in the one that was on the cross. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, who died. He suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God because being a Protestant will not bring you to God. Being a Catholic will not bring you to God. Being a Muslim or Mormon or Jehovah Witness will never bring you to God. But I want to tell you there's one man and one man alone that can bring you to God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he's able to bring you tonight in this very meeting and you could have committed enough sin to damn a thousand worlds. I want to tell you tonight there's power in the blood. Because you see, the Lord Jesus not only had his bones out of joint and he not only had a crown of thorns on his brow and not only had his back plowed like a field and not only was there the burden of all your sin laid on him, there was the precious blood that flowed. And I tell you tonight, it was a fountain which was open for the cleansing of sin. You know, I told a story here one night before, a few years ago, I'll tell it again. A few years ago over in America, there was a man on a conference and he was preaching on Calvary. And you know, after a few moments on the pulpit, men and women discovered that he was a modernist. Didn't believe in the precious blood of Christ. Didn't believe in the value of the blood. And there was an old woman, 90 years of age, stood to her feet, all wrinkled and bent over, and she began to sing, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, Lose all their guilty stains. Then a few more people stood to their feet. And they began to sing. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Mother in the meeting tonight. Father in the meeting. Whoever you are, whatever sins you've committed. Let me tell you. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can wipe away all your sin. 
That's the mighty message of the gospel tonight. You can't pay it away. You can't work it away. You can't wash it away. But those that come to Christ and acknowledge that he is Lord and make him Lord and Savior of their life, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed their transgressions from. Are you not tired of your sin? You're not tired of lying in bed at night with the shame. You're not tired of turning and tossing, thinking of the things in the past and the shame and the guilt and feeling unclean. Well, the man that died on the cross almost 2,000 years ago is the answer tonight. And if we confess our sins, he and he alone is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it was on the 22nd of February 2010, smoking a cigarette in Listenski. I'll never forget it. And I used to come here in the early days with my mum and dad. I heard gospel preaching, the best gospel preaching you could hear. Done my drink and done my drugs. Had blonde hair, had an eyebrow, hooking my eyebrow. You wouldn't think it now. But you know, one day, one Monday morning, smoking my last regal filter of a weekend. Just blowing the smoke into the air. And I go down to the house every now and again. It was down recently. Just smoking, puffing it into the air. Come into my heart, I says, God, if I die now, I'm not right with thee. That's just you tonight. You know it. God has got you. And I blew the smoke. Puffed. Puffed. Puffed again. Didn't do a tap the rest of the day. I remember that night. Had a few bags of cannabis in the car. All the rest of it. All the sin of iniquity. All the uncleanness. All the filthiness. And I got down on my knees that night. Beside my bed. I'll never forget it. Said, God, I'm a sinner. Your son died for me. Will you come into my life and will you save me? And I want to tell you the miracle of a moment happened. And it can happen to you in this very meeting tonight. Because there's power in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You maybe say to me, Stephen, there's no hope for me. Oh, I'm involved in the worst of sin. I've broken my marriage. I'm involved in drugs and pornography and all the rest of it. There's no hope for me. There's a lovely verse in Ezra chapter 10 and verse 2. Yet there is hope. And it's in Christ. In Christ alone. I read this during the week. He was able to save the inquiring Enoch. He was able to save the persecuting Paul. He was able to save the the deceived Luther. He was able to save the enslaved Newton. Do you not think he could save you tonight? Newton went home and he penned that lovely hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And you're in this meeting tonight and you're still on your way to a lost eternity. Just hold on. You know about this man in your head. You've sang the hymns. You know the verse. But you're not saved yet. And only you know. Oh, you maybe did what I did and had a false profession. And you've told your parents, all's well. And I want to tell you if death comes tonight, you'll go down into a lost eternity. 
And the only thing that's stopping you, dear friend, from going there at this very moment is the mercy of God. And I want to tell you that thread could cut before I could get off this pulpit tonight. And as that thread was to be cut by the hand of omnipotence, your soul would slump in the seat and your soul would go down, your body would slump in the seat and your soul would go down into chasms of a lost eternity where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you missed it. Heard the gospel, but missed it. Heard the appeals, but you missed it. And the Lord Jesus Christ tonight is willing and able and ready to save. How shall ye escape if ye neglect so great salvation? I heard a story recently of a man in London a number of years ago. He was in his house. Got the family all into bed. And he was lying in the middle of the night and he woke and he could hear the crackle. Fire. He got up. He got his wife out of bed and the house... One of the stories of the house was on fire. And he ran through the rooms. He got into the children's rooms. And he got all the boys and the girls, George and James and Mary and Esther. Got them all bundled out and got them onto the street. And he says, where's Susan? Where's she at? And one of the boys said, Dad, Susan, she went up into the loft last night. She was sleeping up in the loft. And the flames were engulfing the house. And the smoke was billowing up round. It was the days before the fire began and the horse and cart came in the wee hose. And the flames engulfed the house and the father looked up and he said, Susan, can you hear me? And the window opened. She cried. She said, Dad, I can hear. The flames are coming, the smoke. Dad, I can hear you, but I can't see you. You can hear God tonight. You can't see him, but you can hear him. And he said, Susan, you can't see me, but I'm here, and you can trust me. He says, Susan, we're going to get a few men together, and what you need to do is you need to get out onto the windowsill, and before the fire comes, you need to jump. You can't see me, Susan, but you can trust me. And she got out, only a wee girl, and she she stood on the windowsill, held on to the window. Daddy, I can't see you. I can hear you, but I can't see you. And he says, Susan, just jump. Trust me. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to put your trust on me. She got to the window. She says, Daddy, I can't see you, but I can trust you. And she jumped. She fell into the arms of the firemen that night. Let me say to your friends, as I bring this meeting to a close, you can't see God, but you can hear him. And let me tell you this, you can trust him. But you need to come now and put your faith in him. You need to take that step. You need to put your trust in him tonight. You need to say, Lord, I am a sinner and I know. I didn't have to come to this meeting tonight to discover that. I'm tired of my burden and shame and guilt. I'm tired of the chains and the addictions. I'm tired of it all, Lord. But I've discovered your son on the cross of Calvary died for me. And because of that precious blood, I can be cleansed and forgiven and saved and made a child of the living God. I can't see you, but I'm going to trust you tonight. And I want to tell you, do you see, if you sat in, as you sit in that very seat tonight, you said, Lord, I want you to come into my life. Lord Jesus, you died. I want you to save me from my sin. It saved you in the very seat where you sit. Wherefore, he is able 
to save to the uttermost them that come unto God by him. And I wonder tonight, are you going to come? I was doing a mission a few years ago in Cookstown. And there was a man there, and I have told this story, I'm sure, to some of you before. And I'd done the doors around the area. And there's a man, I came to his house. He brought me in, shared the gospel. And he looked in my eyes and he said, Stephen, you know, I know what you're telling me is right. I know that there's a heaven to gain and I know there's a hell to shun and I know I'm a sinner. And I know if I die in my sin, I'll go out into the flames of a lost eternity for all of eternity come. But he says, Stephen, you know, I, 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 take, a, I take a little... Take a little drink every now and again. He says, you know, I like my wee drink maybe once every three weeks. Go up to the brayside there and take a few pints of Guinness from my friends and then I'll drive home again. And he said, you know, Stephen, if the Lord Jesus came into this room just as we're here now, I would have to tell him I couldn't take it. And I said to George, you know, George, that's, that's very sad because he's the only Savior. And he died for you and he wants to save you. And I went on and done the mission. And a few weeks later, I think it was two weeks later, his nephew came in to me. He says, you remember George? I says, I do. He says, well, I couldn't get him on the phone for a week. Rang the phone, couldn't get him, knocked his door and the police had to come and the beat the door in. I went upstairs and George, he was on the bed. And he was as black as coal. He had went out into eternity for a week and no one knew anything about it. And as far as I know, I was the last man that was near. Now I want to tell you this, dear friends. This could be the last time that you ever hear the Saviour Speak to you. The master has come. And he calleth for thee. And you've played with God. Long enough. And he's knocking on your heart's door tonight. He says I've died for you. I've shed my blood for you. I've risen again. And I'm here tonight in the Lifeboat Fellowship, and I want to see you. Susan, you can't see me, but you can trust me. And that's exactly what God is saying to you 